0: Uh, we are in our final week in Luke chapter 6. If you have a Bible and you like to follow along in the Bible, we'll have verses on the screens, but if you have your Bible and you want to follow along there, we're in Luke chapter 6. Last week we covered really the last verses um, from this um, section. It's called the Sermon on the Plain, uh, and Jesus is preaching. We We intentionally, just by way of reminder, we intentionally... Um, started this sermon series immediately after Easter because uh, we wanted to talk about like Easter, leading up to Easter, we did several weeks on the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and all that the the whole gospel means to the Christian's life. Um, And we wanted to follow that up with um, how then do we live in light of the gospel. Uh, once we have become believers, we believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what, what's next? And so we were looking at this because it's one of those sections where Jesus pretty much says, okay, now live this way. This is what it looks like um, to love and follow me. Uh, so we, we wrap up this morning. I want to wrap up by making sure that we understand that the Christian life is first and foremost a call to faith. So we talk a lot about things that Christians do, um, things that should be um, works that should be a part of the Christian life. Um, But I want to make sure as we've talked about those things that we leave this section understanding that the Christian life is first and foremost a call to faith. Um, It's not often times when we hear things that we should do. Uh, We tend in the direction of um, making the Christian life just about things we do. And and so that's a danger that we have. The Christian life is much more than things that we do, although it involves things that we do, right? we, we have a tendency to to hear Jesus say, you should do these things. We just try to do those things, um, to do the works of being a Christian apart from faith in Christ. Um, we, we, we try harder to be better and do more to make Jesus happy. And again, it's works and self-righteousness that we are doing um, that, that are not really a part of the Christian life, when they're missing the element of faith. And so that's what I want us to talk about, um, not trying harder and, and doing more, but, but believing. Trusting in Jesus. I, I want us to see that while those things should be a part of our lives, um, the, the things that we do don't, don't or shouldn't flow out of trying harder to do more or, or being more disciplined in our lives so that we can be better people, uh, all of those things really flow out of a heart that believes. And what we do is ultimately um, a, a revelation. It reveals what we believe. So, I hope this makes sense as we go through it. Uh, faith to follow. That's what we are talking about this morning. And uh, I want us to pray before we get started and run through Luke chapter six. And I want to ask if you would pray with me. Uh, pray for me that that this would make sense. That the Holy Spirit would be good to uh, to use it to help us see. Um, the difference in, in a life of faith and a life of works, and at the same time see works that flow from our life of faith and, and, and makes that connection for us. That's a hard connection, so we need to pray together that God would help us with that. Will you do that with me? Good. Let's pray together. Father, this is a hard thing for us. We do get, um, get it wrong so often, faith and works and... Um, <laughs> how those two things go together rightly. Uh, So I pray, we pray together. Thank you that we can come and pray together. We pray together, Holy Spirit, that you would be good to teach us, that you would uh, be good to help us make this connection and understand a life of faith and works and, 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 and make that be a part of our life. Help us today, Father, in those areas of of misbelief and disbelief. Help us to believe, to believe so firmly that, that we don't have to think about the works. The works are just the natural overflow of the things that we believe. Help us to get to that place. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, faith to follow. I, listen to these words. As I was preparing uh, this week for this morning, I, I just... This passage came to mind a number of times. It's from uh, the Apostle Paul to the Colossians uh, church. And uh, Paul wrote this in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. Rejoicing to see how you are, how you are, are working and ordered together and living out your faith in Christ, right? To see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul goes on in the letter, uh, in the verses immediately following, to talk about the good news of the gospel, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul is urging the church to continue their walk with Jesus just as they started, and that is by faith, to, to continue their life with faith in Jesus. That's where I am this morning. You have come to Jesus by faith. Continue your life as a believer in the same way. First and foremost, a life of faith. So let's see how Luke 6 and the lives of the disciples demonstrate uh, what Paul was saying here. Um, I'm going to run through Luke chapter 6. We'll read some verses here and there, but largely I'm just going to recap what we've already talked about. So we began our series in verses 1 through 11, and in verses 1 through 11 we see that the King has come. The King has come. In those first verses, we saw that that Jesus and the religious leaders um, were quickly in conflict. Quickly, after He started His ministry, there was conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders uh, over all sorts of things, over the law. And here in Luke chapter 6, two of those confrontations take place over the Sabbath laws. Jesus is essentially in these confrontations telling the Pharisees, who were the keepers of the law, that they don't really understand the law that they are keeping and finding their righteousness in. They don't understand the law. He uses the example of King David feeding his men uh, from the temple as, as they have confronted Jesus about his disciples eating, picking from a field, and eating the grain on the Sabbath, they were saying that Jesus had broken the Sabbath laws. Jesus says, you don't really understand the laws. Do you remember what King David did? In bringing King David up, in a sense, Jesus is putting himself on the same level as King David. So so he's not only questioning their authority and, and telling them that he has authority over them, he's putting himself on the same level as their beloved King David. And then to take it a step further, he says that he is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath that God gave to His people. This was a God-given law, not a man-made law. And, and Jesus is saying that He is Lord over this day that God has given to His people. So really, what Jesus is claiming here is not to be, uh, not just to be above the Pharisees and His understanding of the law and His ability to do with the law really what He wants to do. But Jesus is also claiming here an equality with God. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Immediately after that first event took place there was a second Sabbath confrontation and this time the Pharisees are upset because they know that Jesus is about to heal a man on the Sabbath day which again they say is breaking the Sabbath law. Again Jesus questions them and he does it in the middle of the the, the temple. He's questioning them. He's questioning their authority. He's questioning their uh, understanding of the law. He's questioning the heart, their understanding of the heart of God behind the law. He's questioning whether or not they love people and even know what doing good is. And so once again, he, he is questioning them and establishing himself as an authority above their authority. And then after he does all of this and and they are so uh, befuddled by his questions that they can't even answer his questions, Jesus heals the man with the withered hand. And so he's not only claiming that he has authority over the Pharisees and and, and the religious leaders who were there that day, he is demonstrating the authority that he has, demonstrating the authority that he has, not just over them and not just over the Sabbath, but, but he is the Lord of nature as well, healing a man with a withered hand. Now, these weren't the first times that Jesus had healed um, or or demonstrated his authority. He had healed before, he had cast out demons. And if we look back in Luke, going back to chapter 4, as Jesus was just starting his ministry, we read this Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The healings, the Sabbath laws, casting out demons, all of it was a fulfillment of Scripture. And, and not just this scripture, other passages and other promises as well. This is what the promised one would do. The, the Old Testament said when your king comes, this is what he will do. And, and, and Jesus was, was doing it. This is the work of the king. The king who would come and establish God's kingdom and save God's people. He would right the wrongs. He would fix their brokenness. The deaf would hear. The lame would walk. The blind would see. And the captives would be set free. Right? The good news was that the king had come and the king was establishing his kingdom. He was fulfilling the promises of Scripture right before the eyes of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and right before the eyes of the disciples. All of that was foundational, those first two encounters in Luke chapter 6, foundational to everything that followed. Everything that followed with the disciples, foundational to everything that followed in Jesus' sermon on the plain. Um, Jesus is establishing himself as the promised one, as the king, and the question then becomes, would they believe or not? Fulfillment of scripture. Jesus is demonstrating it. Jesus has said, I've come in fulfillment of scripture. Would they believe it or not? So in the next verses in Luke chapter 6, 12 through 19, um, those verses are about Jesus gathering his disciples and calling 12 to be apostles. Um, The king has called. The king has called. So we see in those verses Jesus has disciples already, a large number of disciples. Disciples in Jesus' day, like all of the all of the the real teachers had disciples. That was people who followed them and listened to their teaching. Um, They followed a particular teacher. Uh, They they believed what the teacher taught. They tried to live out what the teacher taught. Uh, They supported the ministry and were a part of the ministry. They desired not only to follow the teaching, but to emulate the life of the teacher. That's what disciples were. And in their culture, that was a common thing. So Jesus, as a teacher had a large number of disciples who followed him. Luke tells us um, that Jesus has been praying all night and Jesus calls his disciples to himself and from his disciples he chooses 12 and they will be called apostles. The apostles, the word apostle really just means sent And so these are the ones who would be sent. These 12, minus Judas, who would become the traitor, verse 16 tells us, these 12 would be, minus Judas, would be the leaders of the first church. After the crucifixion of Jesus, after His resurrection and ascension to the Father, they would be the ones who would lead in in the church. They would be, be sent from Him to lead in starting the church and really overseeing the first church, proclaiming the gospel. Um, those 12 would be the disciples who would be closest to Jesus. They would receive more of His time, more of His teaching. Um, he was getting them ready, getting them ready to be sent out, to lead in that movement of the gospel going forward. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Um, says to those twelve and to others, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. He is saying, apostles, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be sent. You will be my witnesses in all of these places. What we see then in our Luke 6 passage is Jesus, after this night of prayer, he's calling his disciples to himself. He's choosing the 12 to a new life. Though they have some hiccups, and we see those in their journey, not counting Judas, the betrayer, they went. The apostles, the disciples he called and, and made apostles, the, the sent ones, they went. They left their families. They left their jobs. They left their Jewish religion. They left their, their security. They left their comfort, their, their relative peace. They left everything that they knew for this new life following the King. A life of following Jesus, a life then of of serving the church and serving ultimately the world, even through their ministry, serving us today. The king called and they went, right? The king called them, said, You're going to be my apostles, you're going to be the sent ones. He prepared them for ministry and then he sent them out and they went. Why did they go? Why did, they, why did they stick with him, e- even though they had hiccups? Why did they stick with him and, and then go? Why did they leave everything behind? Why were they so willing to leave everything that they knew behind to do what the king had told them to do? It wasn't because they were trying to earn good standing. If they were trying to earn good standing through their works, they probably would have just stuck with Judaism. Judaism. Right? Because it was all about doing the good works in order to um, receive a good standing with God. It, it, it wasn't an act for them of earning their righteousness, self righteousness. Again, if that's what it was about, they would have just stuck to the law I- instead of following Jesus. They went with him when he called, listen to me, because they believed. That, that's why they went. That's why they left everything everything that they knew. That's why they left it all w- when their king called be- because they believed. They believed that Jesus was the king. Listen, I, 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 when I talk about belief in this sense, I don't mean that there was mental assent. I, I don't mean that there were facts that they had gathered and they, they knew a story or, or they knew information I don't mean that they knew that the Old Testament said these things and then Jesus was here claiming these things and doing. I mean they believed. They believed with their heart. They believed with their soul that Jesus was the King. They believed that he, he really was the promised one of the Old Testament. They believed that He really was fulfilling Scripture, that, that, that He was the all-powerful creator and sustainer who, who had power over all of His creation, the natural and the supernatural. They, they believed. They believed. They, they believed that Jesus was who He said that He was. And that he he had done all that he said that he had done. And that he would do everything that he said that he would do. And that scripture would ultimately be fulfilled through this Jesus, their king. They truly, truly believed. All of them except for Judas. And that's why Judas became the betrayer. They believed... But Judas did not. In the next verses, we see that not only have the disciples, right? He's called them and said, you're going to be my apostles, my sent ones. In the next verses in Luke, we see that not only have the disciples committed to Jesus, but he has committed to those who faithfully follow him. Jesus commits to us, right? The king has committed. After he called the apostles um, from his disciples, they all went down together to the plain, and there was a multitude of people who had gathered, Luke tells us, from all over the area. They were there to see Jesus, to hear Jesus teach. Many were there to be healed um, or to have demons cast out. And Luke says that in in the midst of all of this going on, in this great multitude of people, Jesus looks over at his disciples and he begins to teach his disciples. What follows in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 17 through 26 is what we call the Beatitudes blessings for some and woes for others. Now, I said this when we covered that section, but likely the disciples had already begun to experience persecution and loss because they followed Jesus. Because already they believed that Jesus was who He said that He was. So likely they were already experiencing some, some, some amount of suffering. And looking at them, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that they were suffering and He knew that they would suffer even more. He, he knew that there would be much greater suffering in the days to come. So He says to His disciples, looking at them, "'Blessed are you who are hungry now.'" And I think in the context of these verses, if we read them all, it, it is because you follow me. So I, I think what Jesus is saying is he's looking at his disciples. Blessed are you disciples who are hungry now because you follow me. You will be satisfied. Blessed, blessed are you who, who are poor now because of me. Blessed are you who are poor. You will inherit the very who weep because of me. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who weep because of me. One day you will laugh. These are promises. These are promises Jesus is making to the people who follow him and as a result suffer. Disciples, disciples. he's saying... Blessed are you who are poor now, who have given up much, who have lost much, as you follow me, blessed are you, you will inherit the very kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be yours. Blessed are you who, who, are, who are hungry now, who are hungry now because you follow me, because, because of persecution, because people hate me, because people hate you. Blessed are you. For one day you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. One day your weeping and your mourning will be turned into laughter. Another promise. This hurt, this mourning, this loss, one day Jesus says, I will turn all of it into laughter and joy. Blessed are you, verse 22, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets." Now Paul calls this suffering that Jesus is talking about light and momentary light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that was coming for those who love and follow Jesus. Paul says this is this is nothing compared to the reward that will be ours when we stand with Jesus face to face. These were all promises from Jesus to his disciples. This was his commitment to them. As you follow me and you suffer these things, know I am committed to you. And one day the kingdom of God will be yours. Suffering is coming, Jesus is saying. I imagine the sorrow that he had as he thought about that suffering in their lives, but I promise you, he says, the king says, I promise you I will make it right. I will, I will bless you and your reward in heaven will be great. Promises from the king. It it, it was this suffering, and the suffering would come. And and if you've read the Gospels and know the Gospel story, the the suffering it it goes up and up and up. The persecution becomes more and more and more against the disciples and against Jesus, ultimately leading to his crucifixion. And if you read the story in Luke twenty-two and twenty-three, we we see that as the persecution ramps up and the crucifixion draws near, his disciples flee. They leave him in fear, but they would come back, right? The apostles would, would come back. They would, they would come back, and they would indeed be his witnesses. They would take the gospel to the ends of the earth, read the story of Acts. Even in the face of great danger, they would be his sent ones, Paul would be added to the group of 11 one day Um, after meeting the resurrected king uh, on on the road. His life was changed, like completely transformed in that meeting. He went from persecutor of, of the church to one who was greatly persecuted as a member of the church. His suffering is given to us in short form in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, beginning in in 23. I want to read this because I imagine this is well the suffering that that most all of the apostles went through, those sent ones. Paul writes of himself, are are they servants, talking about false teachers, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from uh, all of this, apart from other things that I could add to the list, Paul says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Light and momentary compared to the glory that Paul looked forward to. Church history tells us that Andrew, Peter's brother, was bound to a cross until he died. Nathaniel, another of the, the, the disciples who became an apostle, Nathaniel was skinned alive and then crucified upside down. James the Great was beheaded. James the Lesser was thrown off of the temple, the high point of the temple, and since he was still alive, they then stoned him to death. Jude was beaten with a club and then crucified. Matthew was staked to the ground and then speared. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was tortured and then impaled. Simon the zealot, crucified and then for good measure, sewn in two. Thomas was run through with a spear. Paul, Paul was believed to have been beheaded in Rome. Only John... Only John died of natural causes after miraculously surviving being boiled alive. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. How could they face such a hard life? I like like what kept them from, from tucking tail and 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 running? Was it because they were just so strong-willed, such strong-willed people? Was it because they had such a great sense of duty to to, to do these things? Were they, were they trying to earn their place in heaven? I don't, I don't think so. I think it's because they truly believed. I think it's because they truly believed who Jesus was, their king the, king, the king of all creation, the promised one. They believed who Jesus was, and they, they truly believed that their king would do everything that he promised. I think they truly believed that. So, so as they were facing these, these hardships and difficulties and even death, blessed are you, they believed this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. My king has promised me that though I will suffer now, one day mine is the kingdom of God. Those weren't just words to them. They did what they did. They faced what they faced because they believed it. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Did you hear Paul's word, words? Often hungry. For you shall be satisfied. Momentary light affliction, Paul says. Blessed are you who weep now. Your weeping will be turned to laughter. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in the day they kill you. Rejoice in the day that you are beaten and crucified. Rejoice in the day that you are sawn in two, for behold, your reward will be great in heaven. The king promised, and they believed. Finally, only after seeing and believing that the king had come, only after being called by the king into the kingdom and receiving the promises of the king, believing those uh, promises of the king, uh, then we see the commands of the king, right? The, the, The king gives commands. The king commanded them. In verses 27 through 49, Jesus tells his disciples how it is that they should live. He's made all of these promises. Now he tells them how it is that they should live in the kingdom. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. If someone steals your jacket, give them your shirt as well. If someone slaps you in the cheek, then give them the other cheek to slap as well. If someone asks you for something, give it to them. Do as you want others to do to you. Be merciful as your Father has been merciful to you. Judge in the the same way that you want to be judged. When you judge other people, and judge other people as you want to be judged, Don't, don't be condemning of others, Jesus says. Be merciful and gracious, forgiving others as you have been forgiven. And the measure that you use in all of these things, that's the measure that will be used for you. Be humble in your assessment of others, remembering your own brokenness and and failures, your own sin. Remove the log of sin from your eye before you judge the speck in your brother's eye. If we read the the, the New Testament and what extra-biblical writings that we can that tell us about those those first disciples and apostles, what, what we find is that they did thrive. This is how their life was described. There, there was no question about it. In fact, th- this is how the church lived. They loved their, their enemies. The church was known even by those who despised the church as being good and generous, good and generous even to their enemies, those who persecuted them. The church was known for its, its gracious and sacrificial, sacrificial giving, not nice giving, sacrificial giving, and not just to believers but to others as well, to those who didn't believe even in the strength of Paul and Peter and and other disciples in, in the strength that they had we, we we find humility again and again and again they were they were men of humility men who knew who they were apart from Christ men who knew what Jesus had done for them Paul had been a pharisee a, a, a pharisee who followed the law who knew the law he was he was filled with self righteousness and pride until he until he met Jesus and then after meeting Jesus Uh, the words we have from Paul are are, are wretched man that I am. Not look at me and how well I keep the law. Wretched man that I am. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I, I know that I should do? Paul says, I am a sinner and maybe the worst of all of you. How did they... How did they manage this obedience to those commands? Why were they known for this humility and graciousness and and care and giving? How is it that they lived out this ideal of loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you? How did they they do that? Is it because they, they tried harder? Is it because they were just better at doing things like that than we are? How did they forgive so freely? Was it it because they knew that there were extra points for them to win with God? Did, Did they grit their teeth and just push through it? Were they just stronger than us? Like, we're just not that strong. I don't think that was it at all. I think it goes again to faith. I think they were humble because they believed what Jesus said. They were were humble because they believed what Jesus said, that they were sinners in desperate need of a a Savior. They were were believing the words of Jesus that you are a sinner or or just a growing pile of filthy rags before a holy and righteous God. They, They believed that. That they knew that they had at one time been enemies with God, right? Where, where, Where Jesus says, love your enemies. Man, they knew that at one time they had been enemies with God, and yet he loved them. They, they, they believed that their lives were, were lived like a slap in the face to God, who did not respond in anger and, and righteous condemnation, but God himself turned his other cheek to be slapped again and again and again. They knew that they were the, the, the beggars who had nothing. They 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 knew that that they were the ones who, who who took from him and then wanted more. They knew, they knew that they had been the ones who offered unmerciful, judgmental condemnation. They were they were the hypocrites. They believed it. They believed that they had been the ones who were, who were eager to point out the sins of other people, judging them, and yet they were blind to their own sinfulness. They, they knew that all of the things that, that they were not supposed to be, that's what they had been, and yet in all of that, He loved them. And He had been... He had been patient and kind and generous and slow to judge. When, when, when what they deserved was his condemnation, what they received was his mercy and his forgiveness. These weren't just words to them. It wasn't just something that they've heard as they've grown up in church or as they've gone to church. It it, it wasn't just words they, they, they knew this this was them. They believed. They believed that they were the unlovable, and yet he loved. They knew that they were the unforgivable, and yet forgiven. When when we become Christians, we, we become Christians because we believe. Because by faith we trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. We, we believe that He is the promised one. That, that His promises are true. Through, through Him, as He has said, through, through His life, death, and resurrection, we, we, we receive our faith in that. We receive His righteousness. All of our sins are forgiven, and we are made children of God. This is the good news of the gospel, and it is ours by faith. So, so we, we come to Jesus solely by faith, not by our works, not by the good things that we've done. It, it, it is His work and our faith and trust in that work alone. That's how we come to Jesus. But it's that same faith in Jesus that shapes us. It's that same fate that we see in the disciples that leads us to to love others, even our enemies, as He loved us, His enemies. It it is believing that He has been patient with us when, when we don't deserve such patience in our own lives that leads us to have patience with others. It's seeing and believing that He has given us so much He's given to us broken, needy beggars. It's seeing ourselves in that light that allows us to freely give to others. It's believing his promises of future glory that allows us to walk in the midst of suffering. it's faith in, in his promises that, that that moves us through hunger and hate and loss because we are his people. We know that, that, that one day we will be satisfied. We know that one day, no matter what, what happens here and now, one day we will be filled and, and, and blessed beyond anything that this world has to offer us. It's because we believe that Jesus, our King, has come to establish His kingdom. And He calls us, not just the apostles, but He calls us as well. It's because of belief in this. Not just knowing the words, not just knowing the story, but believing that when the King called us to Himself, He has called us to be apostles in a sense as well. To be those sent out, His disciples to declare His glory. Making disciples of the nation. As we go, it's faith. It's it's believing. It's not working more and trying harder. If there is work to be done and trying to be done, it, it is work on your faith. It is try to believe the beautiful promises of our King. It's faith. Faith in His coming, the coming of our King. Faith in His call for us to follow Him. Faith in His commitment to us and all of the promises that He has made. Faith that leads to our obedience. Faith that leads to strength in our suffering. Faith that shapes our lives into the very image of Jesus, our humble and gracious King. Now hear me, because the opposite is also true. It is not weakness that causes us to avoid His calling, to run from suffering. It's not, it's not weakness that causes, causes us to, to, to not love our enemies, but only to love our friends. To wish harm on those who see things different than we do. It's not Weakness, it's misbelief and disbelief. It's misbelief in who we are, misbelief in who they are. It's, it's disbelief in, in, in who Jesus tells us we are and they are and He is. I don't forgive much because I don't believe that I am forgiven much. I I am angry with people who are different than me, and I, I, I will not forgive them because I forget how angry God should be at me. I forget how much my king has forgiven me. And I come to believe that I am better. I don't give much because I don't believe that my king has given much to me. I don't give much because I don't believe His promise that He will provide for every need that I have. I am unwilling to suffer because I don't believe ultimately that those future rewards far outweigh these present rewards. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive him? You received him by faith, believing who he was and what he had done. You you believed. How do you walk in him? How do you become shaped into the image of the king? It's by faith. It's by faith you believe. Believe. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray again just for your spirit to be good this morning, to teach us and to help us, to help us to understand these words, to help us to understand that our works are just the natural overflow of our faith. And that our weakness isn't that we're not good at doing works. Our weakness is that we, we lack faith. So help us. Help us to believe. Not, not just that one day we'll go to heaven. Help us to believe the promises of the King here and now. Help us to believe the call of the King here and now. Help us to believe. We want to believe. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen.